0: Open the word of God to the gospel of John in the 16th chapter, John 16. Thank you Titus for the Psalm 90 of Moses. And my brother, thank you for your prayer. Several months ago we were in John chapter 12, which had some verses very similar to the verses before us today. I spent many weeks on them. I am not going to do that. By my Standard of measurement of the material that I have prepared. I have 10 hours worth of preaching on John 16 8 through 11, but we're going to do half of it now and the other half after our break And it won't be five hours now and five hours then (laughs) I Want to look at the three Matters that Jesus Christ mentioned, sin, righteousness, and judgment, first of all, identify their problem that the world has with those three things, then the reproving work of the apostles against the world on those three points, and when we come back before communion, we'll look at the solution for each of those three things, and that will be worth celebrating at the Lord's table. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Amen and amen. Amen. Verse 8, very quickly in review. And when he is come, he is the personal presence of God by the Holy Ghost, is come. Where would he come to? He would come to the apostles and indwell them inside them. He would be in the apostles. He had been with the apostles because he was in Jesus. But on the day of Pentecost, he would be in the apostles. It tells us, and when he has come, here in this eighth verse, and the when is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a transcendent day in the world's calendar of God dwelling on earth in men like never before. Right. And he has perpetually been here since then in believers. It says, and when he has come, he will reprove. Now the text says, and when he, the Holy Ghost, is come, he, the Holy Ghost, will reprove. But we know from John chapters 14, 15, and 16 and other places in the New Testament that it would be the apostles that would reprove the world. The Holy Spirit did not reprove the world. The Bible doesn't tell us about a ministry of the Holy Ghost reproving the world other than through the apostles. They they believed because they heard preaching. The apostle Paul laid down an axiom so simple. How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without the Holy Spirit? No, that is not what the Bible says. And how shall they hear without a preacher? When Stephen the deacon told the Jews, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Do you really think that those Jews could resist the Holy Ghost? They only resisted the preaching of prophets with the Holy Ghost. And that is explained in the Old Testament as well. So when we look at this eighth verse, and you should note whatever you need to note, and if you need to see many verses, which I went over two weeks ago, about it is the apostles reproving, not the Holy Spirit directly. The Holy Spirit is the reprover indirectly by being in the apostles who did it directly with their spoken word. He brought everything to their memory that Jesus had ever taught them. He gave them complete understanding of all doctrine. He fit the words in their mouths and he told them future things to come. And that's all stated in John 14, 15, and 16. It is by the preaching of the word with the influence of the Holy Spirit from his written scriptures and through them. But remember, the apostles didn't have a New Testament. So it was the Holy Spirit in them giving them the words to say. And I can't spend any more time on that. There's many, 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 many points and cross-references proving that in the outline that will be available on our website. And when he, that is the Holy Ghost, is come, he, that is the Holy Ghost, indirectly, through the direct preaching ministry of the apostles, will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Let me briefly remind you that reading commentaries on verses like this can be very frustrating at their ignorance and at their desire to compromise certain words. They do not like, and I've I've explained this before, but let me say it again. They do not like the word comforter in verse seven and the word reprove in verse eight. So they modify both to bring them closer together. They understand that comforter is over here. Comforting is a is to them more of a weak, gentle work of the Holy Spirit, giving him that title. And over here is reprove, which is a harsh, hard work of rebuking. And so they modify both words. They don't like the word comforter, and they say, he shouldn't be called comforter. He's the advocate. Well, the Bible denies that. The Holy Ghost is not the advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous is the advocate. So they try to bring advocate over here because they don't like comforter. Then they don't like reprove, so they say convince or convict. And so they get them over here. Well, I believe that he is the comforter to 11 men who needed comforting strength to endure the persecution they were going to endure because that's the context, and reproving is exactly what they did. They rebuked and censured and charged and condemned this world for their sins and their lack of righteousness and the judgment that was coming. And there is no need to modify either word. You only got a taste of the dog on that point. My wife got more of the barking... Over the past few days, the word reprove is wonderful to reject, to express disapproval of conduct or actions or beliefs, to censure, to condemn, to reprehend, rebuke, blame, chide, or find fault with. And that's exactly what the apostles did. I like the word of the Lord Jesus Christ when Matthew records about him in Matthew chapter 11, that he began to upbraid the cities. For not believing in him. Guess what the word upbraid means? Reprove. To upbraid those cities means to bring forward, to adduce or allege, as a ground for censure or reproach. To reproach, to reprove, to censure. And he upbraided. Remember, he upbraided those cities and said, if my miracles had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. That's reproving. You are stubborn, obstinate people. The Messiah is here, and he's performed miracles, and you're rejecting him. If these miracles had been in in Sodom and Gomorrah, the worst sinners that they knew of in their minds, they would have repented. That's real reproof. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us such an example. If you want to know the reproving work of the Holy Spirit, then read the... This is how we interpret scripture. I am sharing with you precious truth right now, certain men. How do we understand exactly what verses 9, 10, and 11 mean? By looking at the words and staring at their grammar, it's not going to tell you. Exactly what does it mean? The commentators vary all over the place with what is meant. And so most of them will just list five to ten options. I'm not going to list five to ten options. I'm going to tell you what it is, and here's how we determine if you want to know the reproving work of the Holy Spirit, read the Gospels about Jesus because he had the Holy Spirit without measure. Right. So what did he say about sin, righteousness, and judgment? That's the reproving work that's going to be here because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to reprove through the apostles. The only difference in the preaching content of Jesus and the preaching content of the apostles is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had the Holy Spirit without measure, and the 11 apostles had that measure, had a similar measure of the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. And Jesus did reprove the Jews for their sins, their lack of righteousness and judgment to come. He told them, if ye don't believe on me, ye shall die in your sins. If you want to know the reproving work of the Holy Spirit, then read the book of Acts. Because right. in the book of Acts, you are going to read a 28-chapter account of how the apostles preached. And how they preached, we know, has to be the fulfillment of John 16, 9-11. Right. Do you see that connection? So we we have a commentary within the Bible. The Bible is always its own best commentary. Right. And so the book of Acts, which is the verbal preaching ministry of the apostles recorded by Luke, the beloved physician tells us the fulfillment of these verses. If you want to know the reproving work of the Holy Spirit, then read the epistles of the apostles because they wouldn't have written something different than they preached. Okay. That's simple enough. The Holy Spirit did the reproving and I'm not going to belabor that point through the apostles. Read the epistles of the apostles, and you will find out the content and method by which they reproved the world for sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's go to verse 9. But before we get there, let me remind you of this. And please understand, if there's at any point you think that I'm a little consternated as to what I'm about to do next. It won't take me very long. It'll just take me a couple of seconds, but I'm trying to take 10 hours and put them in the allotted minutes that I have. The proper interpretation of the apostles' reproving ministry uses the full context around these four verses and the context of the New Testament. We start with what we've learned already in John 14, 15, and 16. Their reproving ministry would start by the arrival of the Holy Ghost so that they didn't know how to reprove until Pentecost. And we don't read about them doing much reproving until Pentecost. It occurred at Pentecost when their knowledge, their boldness, and their preaching methods changed. Only after Pentecost did the apostles perfectly understand and deliver truth like Jesus had. Jesus reduced God's revelation by apostolic preaching to three main heads of doctrine. And they're potent heads of doctrine. If Jesus reduces preaching to three points of doctrine, they must be weighty. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Such summary lists of doctrine are found elsewhere, and I took you to one in Hebrews chapter 6 earlier today. For those listening to this sermon later, I would suggest that you begin with Isaiah 56, 9-12, which describes pastors as barking dogs, at least Good pastors are barking dogs, and bad pastors, which America is filled with today, are sleeping dogs. You start there, then you go to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, that Jesus Christ, with all power given unto him by his Father, commissioned his apostles to go and preach fundamental doctrine, get them baptized, and then preach all things that he had taught them about all aspects of their lives. Then go to Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, in which you will have a list of the fundamental principles of the Christian faith that are taught prior to and along with baptism. They are not the higher elements of Christianity or religion. They're the fundamental principles. And those principles begin with repentance from dead works, trying to establish one's own righteousness, sin and righteousness. You repent from sin. Dead works are trying to claim righteousness, and they end with eternal judgment. So we know what was taught. So we know that those three heads of doctrine, Paul confirmed, were the three heads of doctrine taught. The Holy Spirit was the comforter to the apostles, but he used those apostles to expose and charge the world on these three points. We believe Jesus' command to reprove, meaning to reject, disapprove, censure, condemn, and rebuke. The timing was in con- the timing of these words in front of your eyes in John 16:8 through 11. Why did Jesus, right then, tell them about their ministry of reproving by the Holy Spirit? Because he had just spent 20 verses telling them about the hatred of the world would persecute them and kill them. And so that's why he said, "They hate me because I've left them no cloak for their sins." Once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are going to leave them no cloak for their sins because you're going to reprove them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're going to hate you, and they are going to want to stop your mouths. When Stephen the deacon was preaching, and he reached his invitation, invitation is not a word found in the Bible. Invitation is an invention of Charles Finney and those that followed him, including Billy Graham, Jack Hiles, and other modern heretics about the presentation of God's word. Billy Graham preached much better in the 50s and 60s in his great crusades than at the end. I don't want to say any more about him. We'll leave him with the Lord. We appreciate many things that he said. We hardly appreciate anything that he did because he compromised with heretics and heresies and false denominations his entire life. Invitation. Stephen the deacon gets to a place where he says, Ye uncircumcised, in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. What did they do? They stopped up their ears. How do you stop up your ears? They stopped up their ears, and they ran on him with one accord and stoned him to death. Why? because he had reproved them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The timing for it to be right here is because of the context of persecution. I love context. It is my master. I am its slave. Let me say something again. Three ways we interpret these verses. The details and nature of their reproving ministries is seen by Christ's preaching. It is seen demonstrated by their preaching in the book of Acts and it is seen demonstrated by what they wrote in their epistles, then we know what is here. And that's how we interpret it. Jesus directed the apostles first against the Jews and only later against the Gentiles, so we keep the Jews preeminent because that was the world that hated Jesus. Look at John 15, if you have forgotten such things. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you well, what world hated Jesus Christ? It was the world of the Jews. Jesus didn't go out and preach to the Gentiles like the apostles would. And the emphasis was on the Jews first. And it's the Jews' wrath that would fall upon the apostles first. And their ministries was first Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we keep that emphasis because of the emphasis of the context and the emphasis of the history in the book of Acts. You don't even read about Gentiles in Numbers until you get to the 10th chapter. You don't read about the Apostle Paul dealing with them at large until the 13th chapter. The first and great enemies of the gospel were Jewish. We're going to study the three points by the problem, the reproof, and the solution, and the solution will be in our second service today. The divine enablement of the Holy Spirit with the Apostles and the truth they taught shook the whole world. The world ignores and rejects these three heads of apostolic doctrine to their damnation. To their damnation and the evidence of their total ignorance. There is nothing else that matters. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I can, I can get the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, the phases of salvation, and anything else you want to talk about that's important into those three heads of doctrine. There is nothing else that matters. I don't care about soft skills. I don't care about the, the uh, table for child training when it comes to these three things. Now, those things are part of righteousness, but not the righteousness we need to stand before God. Right. I am trying to be as clear as I possibly can. I have read Barking Dogs my entire life. I have shared some of that junk with you recently. I have listened to Barking Dogs. I don't don't care about those men. Those men have distracted men. The men that like those kind of barking dogs never amount to any exceptional Christians. Never. There is not one in the history of the world, there is not one I have ever observed that is an on-fire, Christ-loving, Bible-living Christian that listens to those dogs. It is impossible. It fills your mind with junk that has absolutely zero value. You will never change the world. You haven't changed it. And those that listen to it haven't changed it. They bark, bark, bark. I don't care whether it's illiteracy in some third world country of the world, or they don't have enough water. I don't care if it's an AIDS epidemic. I don't care about any of those things when it comes to these three heads of doctrine. Jesus didn't care about any of those things. Jesus and Paul never worried about any civil activity, whether it was in Rome or in Caesarea, as being worthy of one sentence in the New Testament. It is always about our spiritual growth in our love of Christ and our obedience to him. That's where barking needs to be done. Always about growing in Christ and keeping his gospel more perfectly and repenting of our sins and not backsliding. Perilous times are backsliding times. Perilous times are times where they are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Pleasure is our enemy, not communism. Bring communism on. We'll be better Christians. Lord, help us to bark at the right enemy right. and help us to only listen to dogs that are barking about the right enemy. We want spiritually-minded, Christ-loving, God-fearing, Bible-living, kingdom-building Christians. Right. And Rush and all, Carl McIntyre, the John Birch Society, all those efforts are opposed to him and his kingdom. They have no clue about Jesus Christ of the Bible. And they are distraction and a diversion so that we end up like Don Quixote jousting with windmills, thinking that they're an enemy. This is our enemies right here. And this is what the apostles wanted the world to do. Verse nine of sin, because they believe not on me. Reprove the world of sin. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, 11, you're going to go out and bark against their sins. The world has a sin problem, and the apostolic gospel identifies and exposes it clearly. The world ignores and denies the three heads of apostolic doctrine to its damnation. This is staggering. This is, this is mind-blowing. It's, it's, a, it's a significant point to make. And for you to hear, the world never thanks or talks or does anything about the three heads of doctrine Jesus said should cover the entirety of the content of their reproving ministries. Right. Sin, righteousness, judgment. The world never talks about it. How many pages in the New York Times today if they're still publishing their toilet paper? If they're still publishing it, how many pages There will not be a sentence about sin, about righteousness, or about judgment. Nowhere you turn will you hear about sin, righteousness, and judgment except a few pulpits that are left that preach the word. Because if they preach the word, then they have to preach Those three things, because that's what the word says. Verse 9 of sin. Men, get out there by the power I'm going to give you and let the world have it because of sin. The world ignores the sin that exists. They don't know why we die. They talk about all kinds of things. They want to worry about a hidden lake that's under a mile of ice on Mars this week. They want to worry about junk like Mars. I don't care if there's a Mars or not a Mars. I don't care what's on Mars. I don't care if there's life on Mars. I don't care if there's life under Mars. I don't care if hell is in the center of Mars. I don't care about Mars. I don't care one thing about Mars. I don't want to memorize its diameter. I don't want to memorize its temperature, and I don't care about its distance from the sun. Mars can go out and trade places with Pluto and it wouldn't change my life. And it wouldn't change sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right. It doesn't matter. We spend so much time worrying about the order of the planets. I can't remember the order of the planets. Is Mercury still first? Or is it slipped outside Venus or somewhere? I don't care about Venus. I don't care about Saturn. I don't care if Jupiter has rings and Saturn has none. Nothing matters, but they they care about that junk. But what about sin, righteousness, and judgment? Sin. Everyone in this world is guilty of sin, which is a transgression of God's law. Number two, they have no righteousness of their own, and when they stand before a righteous God, they're going to need absolute righteousness in order to be accepted into heaven, and righteousness is only by one, and he had already left this. He was going to leave the world in just a few hours, in just a few days, and he's been long gone because he finished the work of righteousness on the cross of Calvary. And judgment is coming to burn this planet up and to melt the elements with fervent heat. Heaven and earth are all going to melt and disappear, and flee from the wrathful face of him that sits on his throne. And Psalm 90 was filled with good news just like I'm telling you, and I mean bad news. Psalm 90 had 20 references to the wrath and judgment of God in 17 verses. If you were paying attention by God's providential arrangement of that psalm, we got to see Moses describing the wrath of God toward man and toward this world and our planet and the inhabitants of this planet. Verse 9 of sin. Men, get out there and tell the world they're a bunch of sinners because they believe not on me. There's so many things that can be said. Sin is the transgression of God's law. Sin is doing what God said don't do. Sin is disobeying God. And they were to tell them, you have disobeyed God. You are guilty of the sixth commandment. You have murdered the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were not afraid to tell him. Acts chapter 2, Peter couldn't even get Pentecost mourning over with before telling them, with wicked hands, you have crucified the Lord of glory. And said, with wicked hands, you've done it. Because he condemned the world of sin, reproved the world of sin by the apostles' ministry. Of sin, because they believed not on me. Believing, Not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the worst sin of all. It's adding the worst sin to other sins. Every man's guilty of sin. We're guilty of Adam's sin. We're guilty of our sins. And not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ was the worst sin. Jesus had already condemned his generation. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. He that believeth not is condemned already. Right. He that believeth not, the wrath of God abideth on him. This is what Jesus taught earlier in the Gospel of John itself. So get out there, men, and tell them they're all sinners. Because they believe not on me, which is the only thing that they can do to appeal to God for righteousness by Jesus Christ is to believe on him. But instead, they've added to their sins. Remember, this is reproof. I want you to understand that when you read these verses, these verses are not the sweet tidings and glad news of the Gospel for God's elect. This is the reproving ministry of the apostles. I'm going to cheat a little bit for our communion service in the second service by our communion service in the second service. Anyway, by showing you the solution for the three problems because it's all in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's all in Christ Jesus. Of sin. Let's get out there and tell them they're sinners. No one wants to do that anymore. No one does it anymore. They want to tell everybody how good they are and how God wants you to be a champion. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. None of that is true at all. Right. God wants you to suffer so that he can perfect you so that you can be a great Christian. But that's not taught. Joel Osteen has to write a book entitled Your Best Life Now. That's because he's not going to heaven nor those that listen to him. Right. In general. In general, there are exceptions. Your best life now, this is not our best life now. Heaven is our best life then. This is our worst life now. We've only got two, one on earth and one in heaven. Which one's the best? Heaven's the best. This is the worst. Sin, it's terrible. It's sucking the life out of you right now. I could turn you to so many passages of scripture, and you know I could, but I cannot. Lord have mercy upon us. He drowned the world, he leveled Jerusalem, he had the inhabitants of Jerusalem eating each other. He had mothers eating their babies in 70 AD in the destruction of Jerusalem and 1.1 million died in the confines of that city. There were more killed by those angry zealots and the factions within the Jewish nation than the Romans killed. It was terrible because of sin and because they believed not on me. Right. I will lay this city even with the ground the enemies will come to tear these walls down, to dig a trench about it, because they knew not the time of their visitation. That's right. Right, it's not an invitation we need. It's a visitation. And it's a visit- visitation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Lord, forgive me. Church, forgive me. Ten pages. Go look at it yourself. And I limited myself. Otherwise... I would end up with the entire Bible just reorganized under three heads (laughs) instead of 66 books in two Testaments, honestly. Sin, righteousness, and judgment, are you kidding? Come on. Can't you see that happening? If you were sitting in an office and you had a word processor and you could type pretty fast, don't you think you could reorganize the whole Bible under three heads? So I, I told myself, you only get 10 points per point, of support, supporting evidence from the Bible. But anyway, verse 10. I love these verses. Oh, oh. and they did it. They did it. These barking dogs, when Jesus unleashed them on the day of Pentecost, they went right at it immediately. Peter stands up with the 11 and unloads on them. Jesus Christ is seated on his throne to fulfill Psalm 2 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 to make you his footstool. What did some do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they just heard about sin, righteousness, and judgment. What shall we do? We need to do something. Repent and be baptized for the... But that's the second service, so don't even think about it. (laughs) There's no mercy yet. There's no mercy right here in these verses. We're going to have to put mercy in for the Lord's Supper. He was explaining to them, they're going to hate you. Do you think they've hated me because I left them no cloak for their sins but exposed them? You're going to expose them. You're going to call them sinners that all their ceremonial religion that they trust in so much, their minor surgery on the eighth day of life. Think with me, brethren. See, I'm summarizing and I'm wrapping it up. Are you with me? Yes. Their righteousness that they put so much trust in I'm raising up a man that's going to come after you, 11, named Paul, that's going to spend much of the book of Romans, all of the book of Galatians, some of the book of Philippians, to show them that there is no righteousness in the law of Moses. That the law of Moses was simply a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. and And I'm on my way to heaven. I'm leaving them, and I'm leaving their house, their temple, desolate. Men, I am going to fill you with divine power and understanding. You will understand all doctrine. You'll remember everything I have taught you. The words will be fitted in your lips, and you will have boldness like you've never had before. Go out there and tell them they're all sinners. Go out there and tell them they have no righteousness. Verse 10 of righteousness. You reprove them of their lack of righteousness because I go to my Father. The only righteousness is in Christ Jesus. I I will finish the work on the cross. I will go to my father and be accepted by him and sit down at his right hand because righteousness has been obtained only through me. And if they try any other route through Moses, through Abraham, through natural reasoning, natural light, as the Gentiles called it in Athens or child sacrifice of their young, as other pagans would do. None of it will work. None of it will make peace with me for their sins, except the righteousness of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he was obviously finished the work because he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3 said, By himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's verse 10 of righteousness. Go out there and tell them they have none of their own. They're going to meet a righteous God and they better have clothing of righteousness or they will be thrown out of that righteous place. You can put in holiness as a synonym for righteousness because we sang two songs about holiness. You go out there and reprove the world of their lack of righteousness and their trust in things that don't work. And if you think about Romans, the, the number of chapters in Romans. Romans 10 and verse one, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's right. for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness which is by Jesus Christ. Right. That's what this is all about. And they did it. And I'm sorry. It's okay. I just hope that you'll go take a few. I put many hours into it. If you'll just take a few minutes, I'll be thrilled. The Lord will be thrilled, because it's all about Jesus Christ. Verse 10 of righteousness, because I go to my Father. It's all in me. It's all about me. I'm the only one that can bring righteousness. I'm going to finish the work in just a few hours. Then I'm going to go to the Father and sit down at his right hand, all of it being done. And we'll get to it in the second service having brought in everlasting righteousness. Yeah. Because the 70, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel is not to get you all worked up about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but it is to get you worked up about six things determined. Mm-hmm. And the six things determined are to bring in everlasting righteousness. Right. 490 years later, 487... No! Oh, here we go. 486 and a half... You know that once upon a time, and it wasn't long ago, I said 487 and a half. And it was on a Sunday that I was picking on somebody else's math skills from the pulpit. The midst of the 70th week would be at what point in time out of 490? 487.5 or 480? Don't think about it anymore. Seventy weeks determined upon thy people... For Messiah to come. The only time Messiah is ever in the Bible, the word Messiah, is in Daniel 9 24 through 27. Messiah, the Prince, is going to come and he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness, so he's going to go to heaven. It's all in him. Reprove the world. They think they're righteous. They have no righteousness because I go to my Father. It's all in me. They hate me. Remember, that's already in verse 9. They didn't believe on me. They haven't put any trust in me. I go to my Father and you see me no more. My work is done. I'm on earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. And it's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Go tell them there is no righteousness in anything they're trusting, including the temple in Jerusalem, including the Levitical priesthood, mm-hmm. including the Old Testament, including the law of Moses, including circumcision, mm-hmm. including the furniture of the tabernacle. All that stuff, blown out. Do you, you see it? Go do this. Okay, verse, verse 11, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. You go reprove this world that judgment's coming. It's going to start with the destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to be an an indication of what's coming. Peter, on the morning of Pentecost, brings up the destruction of Jerusalem in Acts 2.20 by quoting from Joel, because Joel told about the 70 A.D. destruction of Jerusalem. And in Acts 2.40, Peter said with many other... Luke said, Peter said with many other words that he testified and exhorts, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward Generation. generation. From Psalm 90. And so it started with that, but then it went on. When Paul met Felix, the governor, and sat down with him, he reasoned with Felix about three things righteousness, temperance, which Roman rulers were not known for. Judgment to come on the Romans. Now, since Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, that's not judgment coming on the Romans. But was there judgment coming on the Romans? Rome was overthrown in 476 AD and there's yet a judgment to come that will destroy all Jews and Gentiles that are not God's elect that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, of judgment, you go tell them that I'm going to judge this world. Paul stood in Athens on Mars Hill. Paul was brought into the most illustrious company of Gentiles he would ever stand in unless you want to make the company of Nero or Herod Agrippa II illustrious company. He stood with the philosophers of Athens on Mars Hill called the Areopagite, the the Areopagus of Athens. He stood there and he reasoned with them that they are worshiping God as if he were a thing that can go inside a temple instead of the creator of the universe. And he just worked his way up to the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead to prove this point. He is coming back to judge the world. Right. You say, I don't believe, Then we'll close. Acts 17. Will you turn? May I hear your pages, Russell? And we'll bring this to a close. 10 hours shrunk to 35 minutes. Acts 17. Don't complain. Go read the outline. If you want to come to my house, I'll read it to you. Don't let me read very far, though, because I'll start into 10 hours. Acts 17. Look at this. Verse Verse 30, and I've referred to this so many times because Jesus referred, this is the fulfillment of Jesus saying several things in John 12 and John 16. These are the most educated, intelligent philosophers in the world, in an assembly. And here's Paul. Verse 30, and the times of this ignorance, the ignorance that I see by you philosophers here in Athens, Greece, the center of learning of the world, the center of knowledge of the universe. This ignorance of you Athenians, God used to wink at. He overlooked it. He let you idiots be idiots for thousands of years. But now, commandeth all men everywhere, including Athens, Greece, to repent. Why do they need to repent? Because of sin. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, are we work, is it working so far? The three heads of doctrine? Repent for sin because of righteousness. He will judge the world in righteousness, so you better have some, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He will judge the world. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because why did Jesus die on the cross? To destroy the prince of this world. He's called the prince of this world and to destroy the God of this world. He's called the God of this world, Satan. Jesus died on the cross with a flesh body like ours to destroy the works of the devil because of what the devil had done to our first parents in Eden so that we could have everlasting life, and he can have everlasting torment. He was thrown out of heaven. Jesus went into heaven. Revelation 5 and Revelation 12, this is the gospel, and this is what should be preached from pulpits. May God bless our church to preach these things. And amen.